0: Hello, and welcome to Invivo's podcast. I'm Joe Shorthouse, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Diogo Rao, Executive Vice President and Chief Information and Digital Officer at Lilly. In this role, he leads Lilly's information technology, cybersecurity, digital health, and advanced analytics and data science functions. Prior to joining Lilly in 2021, he led IT for retail and online stores for the tech giant Apple. Diego, thank you so much for joining us today and I guess my first question is what was the mandate from David Ricks in 2021 when you took the role at Lilly?
1: Well, I would say the very first mandate that Dave gave me back in May 2021 before I started my job was to read about 2,500 pages of documents that he sent <laughs> my way Oh, um, <laughs> Which was an outstanding introduction for Lily, because I discovered when I came to Lily, you can't have a meeting without a a pre-read. There's this nice gift that you get before every meeting a few days in advance, which is a uh, which in in um, other areas you would call a a short novel uh, to read before (laughs) each meeting. Um, But uh, but no, in all seriousness, once I got here. Dave's mandate was uh, pretty broad uh, and it was about using technology to fundamentally change what we're doing in this industry. Uh, I am fortunate to come in with a CEO that didn't ask me to go fix the wi-fi and to go uh, work on computer stuff but instead what can we do to use technology in fundamentally different ways. Of course, he had a few ideas. Uh, He had a few things like, for example, why does it take six to 18 months to enroll patients in a clinical trial? Why can't you just do that in a day with technology, for example? But he didn't have he wasn't very prescriptive about what we needed to do in terms of technology. And he gave me quite a bit of space. It just had to be uh, disruptive and big and not the little itty bitty stuff.
0: Well, that sounds like an amazing mandate, big and disruptive. That sounds like an invitation to uh, to make some huge changes, which is surely with you know somebody coming from Apple. That's that's kind of really in your wheelhouse, I would guess.
1: Absolutely. In fact, that's what got me excited about this role in the first place was that it, it's an opportunity to, to not just do things the way they've always been done, but to shape yeah. things up quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So how would you um, how would you characterize Lily's current digital strategy if you had to describe it in a couple of words or a, sen- a sentence um how would you how would you talk about it
1: digital strategy is generally considered one of the best in the pharma industry and uh, the consultants tell us that we are pretty far ahead of uh, a lot of our peers uh, mm-hmm. but i don't know if i if i completely uh, I, I don't know if we should be giving ourselves on the pat, a pat on the back <laughs> I feel like we, we we might be the fastest snail in the snail races. Right. Uh, and and uh, well, that's you know,
0: a good place to be, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And and if we were in the 1990s, we would totally be rocking it for digital. Uh, right. So you know, I I think uh, we're. To compare ourselves to the rest of pharma, which I've discovered, pharma loves to compare itself to other members of pharma. I, I think yeah. that's the wrong approach, and I think what we need to do is take a look at how how do we compare to modern consumer experiences, and there I think we have a long way to go. So I think we do we do very very well uh, in pharma. We do uh, extremely well on on uh, on well really everything that pharma does today, but we have a long way to go to uh, to reach the bar of of uh, what consumers
0: expect these days. Yes, definitely. Um, so could you just talk to me a bit about Lily's scaling with digital? I don't know whether to call it a scheme or a program or initiative, your strategy of scaling with digital. Can you just explain what it is and 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 overarchingly how it works?
1: So we all work better in smaller groups. I think we all know that. That's where that's where it comes from. You need to add more people as time goes on because you, you just have too much work to do yourself. But we also know that, that adding people also comes with an expense. It comes with overhead. What we're trying to do with digital is figure out how we can stay small, uh, how we can keep those two pizza box teams alive. And the way mm. to do that is to use technology to do a lot of the things that uh, are, or sort of the lower value tasks, or to automate as many human roles away as we possibly can. And where we're going with that now is that we're we're starting to think of it at not just as in terms of automation, but really uh, how many digital workers do we have that are fundamentally doing uh, human jobs. So I can give you a concrete in- example on that. Mm-hmm. One of the things, uh, we, we, one of the things that's been a lot of fun lately has been around natural language generation now of course everybody's okay. been playing with chat GPT uh, last mm-hmm. year we made a big investment uh, in natural language generation and we started using it in a few places and one of those is a place in, uh, called patient safety narratives and this mm-hmm. is where we use medical writers to uh, write up uh, safety reports and this is something that was considered very sensitive and, and something that would be could be hard to automate because you need uh, you know it's you're talking about safety after all you need yes. humans there. But as it turns out, um, a lot of the things that are in these uh, narratives lend themselves to automation. And so what we've started doing is we've been able to use machines to take really unstructured input from a variety of sources and uh, turn them into reports that uh, are much the same as what humans would produce. And we've reached a point where uh, the quality from uh, what's machine driven is uh, on par with what's coming out of humans. And, mm-hmm. and even in some cases, it's it's actually better. And what that means is, we don't necessarily need to add more technical writers or medical writers. Mm-hmm. Um, we can use uh, we can use machines for a lot of the basic narratives, and we can save our humans for work that is uh, that is harder or or to work on the reports that are more complex.
0: And you mentioned um, before. Uh dave ricks's mandate to you was you know he mentioned why can't we get clinical trials done quicker you know so i was just wondering how lily's using digital to save money and time for drug development, because what you've given me is a great example of almost backroom, um, you know, kind of backroom tasks. Um, Not that safety is backroom obviously at all, but I was just wondering about the drug development side of things and how you're using digital to save time and money, which is of course the the huge issue in in pharma is the fact that it takes however many years and however many billions to get to 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 market. Um, So could you just give me an idea of how Lily's using digital to, to save time and money? Well,
1: uh, I think you you hit on something important there, too, which is it's beyond just time and money. I think we have an opportunity with technology to do things that perhaps no human could do. Mm. And that does come up in drug discovery. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing a lot of is uh, using machine learning in drug discovery for small molecules, Uh, Oral medicines and things like that, because we've got uh, we've got something that is really important for machine learning, which is lots and lots of data. We have (laughs) millions of rows of data that is uh, very well structured, collected over decades and decades. Now, that's one of the most important things for uh, for any sort of machine learning. Mm -hmm. But we have another thing here that uh, that that is a huge advantage for us, which is actual scientists. So not only are we building the models uh, and and running it on all all of the state that we've collected over years and years, but then we get the output coming from uh, coming from the machine learning models that we can then run by the chemists. And we had a fun story uh, over this past summer where on our uh, first model run, we had uh, we had. uh, a, a unique structure come out. You could just look at it and you could say, "Hey, that was really interesting." You didn't even have to be an expert to say that looks like a that looks different from something I've seen before. And mm-hmm. that's what the machine spat out. Well, we went to our chemists and we said, "Can you look at this and tell us what's wrong with this? You know, what's wrong with the structure? We yeah. want to go back and improve our model, and we need your input to help the model become better." They looked at it and they said, "That's really interesting. We hadn't thought of doing it that way."
0: Oh, and, well, that's what you want to hear,
1: and that's what you want to hear.
0: Yeah. And
1: what I think is really exciting about that is we always talk about how we train machines and train machine models, but one of the things that you never really hear about in machine learning is what about the opposite side? What about when the models start training the humans? Yes. Uh, and by that I mean inspiring humans to do new and interesting things. Uh, and and I think that's that's the really exciting thing that's happening with uh, with um, AI and ML now. And in fact, if you look at like ChatGPT, and uh, of course, we'll we feel threatened in some ways by what uh, gpt can do. But if mm-hmm. you look at on the other side, uh, what is it going to inspire us to do that we never thought of? And, and bringing that back to molecules, that's what I think is really exciting when you have not just the data, but you also have the scientists there too. You have this incredible feedback loop. And that's how we're thinking about uh, uh, digital and, and specifically AI, ML, and drug discovery.
0: I know when we were talking prior to recording this podcast, and you said that you had some opinions about patient centricity and putting the the patient really at the heart of digital. Um, and obviously, we hear the term patient centricity all the time in pharma. It's it's it was almost kind of a buzzword, but it does seem to be having some traction. And 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 I guess it has to. Um, digital inclusion really does matter, and patients do need to be at the heart of that offering for it to be useful to both pharma. Um, patients and all the other stakeholders in between, like insurers and and, and insurance uh, insurance companies and payers. So could you just give me an idea of how Lily's using or planning to use digital to bring patients really into the heart of the the pharma landscape, really?
1: Well, I've I've heard that the pharma industry has made a huge has made huge progress in terms of patient centricity in recent years, because we've evolved in our clinical trials from calling uh, our patients subjects to now calling them patients. Uh, But even the term, uh, even just that term patient centricity makes me cringe a little bit because Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel, uh, but I don't think of myself as a patient. Uh, You know, I take uh, I I take some statins a few times a week uh, to to keep my cholesterol down. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, I just think of myself as somebody that's taking medicine. I don't. Yes think of myself as a patient. So I, calling it patient centricity, even just that term uh, is already not a term that a patient would think of. It's, it's an oxymoron in itself yes. uh, to, even, to even say that term. <laughs> and, I, I, and so I feel like we have a very, very long way to go. Uh, and part of it is we don't have that connection with patients. We don't ask them what they think. Yes. I took a $5 Uber ride earlier this week I couldn't take my next Uber ride until I rated my last Uber ride. That was for a five dollar ride, and yet we have th- drugs that cost thousands of dollars. And uh, do you get asked, uh, "How was your experience? And what could we what could we do better uh, for next time?" Uh, now I know that people in the industry, and uh, probably everybody listening to this has more experience in the industry than I do, might cringe at the thought of well, what if you take all of that feedback and what's going to happen with regulators? And are you going to get <laughs> Uh, safety events and things like that, but uh, I will say that just not listening is not the right answer. We need we need a way to get feedback, and we need a way to get connected to to the patients. And that, that's that's one of the big things that I think is going to change uh, in the next decade. And that's how we're going to get to personalized medicine and really making something that that uh, really making a difference for the people taking our medicines.
0: So in the in the kind of the the recent past, we've seen some huge household names become irrelevant if they don't keep pace with technology. So I'm thinking about companies like Kodak, for example. Um, How high are the stakes for pharma around making moves in digital? Do you think that there may be a danger of a a, a Kodak? Sorry for picking on your Kodak, but um, do you think there's a danger that some pharma companies could do a Kodak uh, if they don't make some real bold moves around innovation and digital?
1: It's a really interesting industry. uh, And I can say this having spent uh, time in a lot of other industries, but not this one coming into this one. It's eye-opening uh, how this industry works and how it makes money uh, mm-hmm. because it is all dependent on the patent life cycle. Yes. And once you go off the patent cliff, that product is done. Your your revenues drop overnight for that. Yes. And I don't know of any other industry that has such a steep cliff. Uh, you know, even coming out of consumer electronics, you have pretty uh, what I thought were steep cliffs, um, but no, you, it, they, you still have a rundown um, over, you know, might, might have over a year. Uh, mm. In pharma, when you go off a patent cliff, it's literally the next day your, yes. your prices drop. Um, and so does your stock as well. And I, I do think that uh, there, I, I do think that every company in the pharma industry has incredible pressure to innovate and to create new drugs. And if you don't, uh, you are going to, you, you are going to go the way of Xerox. And there is that incredible pressure uh, to do that. I think that digital and uh, AI and ML are gonna be uh, huge shapers of what those drugs are that are that are really successful. Uh, I also think that we'll see more and more um, extensions of drugs as we get more real world evidence. Uh, you know, I think that uh, if you think of a combination of a drug and uh, a digital component uh, you might have something that that um, you, you might have something that you can either extend a you know create a new patent for and, and mm-hmm. extend the, the intellectual uh, property life cycle of it uh, or you may at least have something that gives some kind of a consumer preference uh, and so I do think that that the that the digital part is absolutely essential not just on the drug discovery side but actually on the you know on the actual use side for being able to uh not turn, to keep, to keep going with your products and not, uh, turn into a Kodak.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Kodak. We we do apologize if you're I listening, know. but, but I doubt they are. So it's okay. <laughs>
1: or, or, it's a, or it's a, or it's a BlackBerry, uh, or, or one of those, yeah. but you know, one, one of the things that, that strikes me about the Kodaks and the Blackberries and the others is by the time that they realized it was a problem, it was already too late. And exactly that's yeah. my fear with all of this too. And, uh, you know, one of those things is like, uh, Let's let's take quantum computing for example. Uh, you know, there's a lot of buzz around quantum computing. It's been around, yes. the, it's been it, it's been coming in the next few years for the last 20 years, uh, so, <laughs> uh, and it, yet it still hasn't appeared. You know, but uh, if we have to keep our eye on it, for example, uh, because if it if if that really did if we did really have a breakthrough there, that is the kind of thing that you know could change things overnight, and you need to you, know, you need to be ready for it, even if you're not going to bet your whole organization on it today. Uh, but if you, you get the hint of it coming, just like Kodak with seeing digital cameras, you have to change everything yeah. you're doing for it.
0: At, at, at the very beginning when we were talking about about big and disruptive change, quantum computing could be one of those things. Um, not thinking just about Lilly, but about um, everywhere else in the pharma, pharma industry. What digital advancements that are in disruptive in nature are you most excited about seeing coming into fruition
1: there's so many it's really uh, it's it's so exciting but i one of the things i'm really the most excited about right now is just with chat gpt we've okay. already been uh, excited about natural language generation for a while we spent a lot of time on it one of the things i love about chat gpt is that it, it's shown the world that this is uh, it, it, that look, look at the possibilities. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a great marketing tool in itself for natural language generation. And mm. it gets, uh, it gets everybody, not just the technologists thinking about what can we do to generate, uh, to generate our own content. And I think that has, that has profound effects for, has profound effects everywhere, uh, across the, mm. across the company. We talked about patient safety narratives. Um, uh, you know, we, it works for communication, um, and it, it works for, uh, It works for. uh, I can't wait for it to work for travel and have to, uh, you know, be able to. uh, (laughs) Next time I don't have to wait online for an hour with uh, with United. Sorry, United. um, uh, (laughs) We're just naming and shaming. We are naming and shaming. Um, but, you know, if I could get something that's like ChatGPT and talk to and get a reasonable mm. answer in that kind of a time frame, I think it would be great. My yeah. assistant has already been uh, putting ChatGPT to use uh, by uh, generating a boilerplate content. And she's doing, she's got a boilerplate email uh, or a document or whatever to put together, uh, she just she just says uh, ChatGPT uh, started off with, with some good content and then she just adds, adds into it. So I think this is I, I think we're looking at something really big and, and really transformative.
0: Yeah. Fantastic! I can't wait to see it become rolled out in more industries, as you say. Travel being one of them would be fantastic. Um, prior to Lily, you uh, worked at Apple. So, in the almost two years that you've worked in pharma, what do you see as some of the challenges that organisations have in really thinking big when when it comes to digital?
1: I find that everybody would rather talk about digital than actually do digital. I would be willing to bet you that when it comes to digital, we have more lines of text in PowerPoint about digital than we have lines of code. And I, you know, I can say I've gone to a few conferences, and I went to went to a healthcare conference last year where uh, I listened to two days of panels uh, of digital, and it was amazing in that whole time that I didn't see a single demo, not a single visual, uh, really, n- nothing. Gosh. Everybody talked about digital some way, some form or another, but nobody showed anything about digital. It would be like imagine, Im- imagine watching a cooking channel. Where they never actually bring out the food, they spend the entire time uh, talking about this great food and this great wine, and you never get to see the bottle, you never get to see the uh, what what's made or how it's made, and that's what we're doing with that's what everybody's doing with digital. We have. We have yeah. people, uh, and right now I'm doing it myself, I suppose. But talking about <laughs> digital in the abstract and and with mm. uh, talking about you know uh, buzzwords and and yeah, talking about value creation and disruption and things like that without without actually showing it and, I, and that's the that's the thing that that um, I really feel like organizations need to change. Uh, and to show more of it and our organization is one of those as well too and so one of the things that I really push our team on is let's just get to let's get to a product let's get to something that we can uh, show and ideally something that we can use Uh, don't don't bring me the 250 page pre-read of powerpoint about uh, what what we want to build and the guiding Mm -hmm. principles but no just show me what it looks uh, what what will actually look like
0: talking a good game but playing a good game are two very different things could you just paint us a picture around Lily's digital future? How 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 would you characterize where Lily is going in a digital fashion?
1: We are changing from being uh, seeing technology as something that powers the business or kind of behind the scenes, kind of the classic um, IT view uh to really a place where technology is a part of the future it goes back to the mandate that i got from dave my boss when uh when i started uh about doing big things so i probably am not going to uh give away all of the secrets of all of the things that we that we have working uh in, in the world but i will <laughs> say that fine. the future the, the future will look something like where uh we're going to have molecules that are going to be generated by machines, the kind of molecules that uh, perhaps no human might have ever imagined. I think that's that's one part of the future. I think we're going to have clinical trials that uh, work much faster, uh, or work faster and more accurately, because we're actually using connected devices in them instead of asking a patient how active uh, you were. uh, during the course of the study, you look at their activity monitor uh, and you you get that data. Basic things like that, I think, will, will really advance the field. Then when um, then I think we're going to change the relationship that we have with patients. We're going to move out of this 1950s uh, manufacturing model where a pharma just manufactures products and sends it to wholesalers, to retailers, and so on. But we're actually going to have real relationships with our patients. We're going to get that kind of feedback on what the products look like, and ideally get, uh, get um, digital biomarkers and whatnot so that we can uh, learn from real-world evidence and Im- improve our own products, and that's really what the what the future looks like for us.
0: So it's an exciting future. It's a big future. It's a disruptive future, um, and there's so much excitement going on around the, the field as a whole, but also within pharma companies. It's it's a wonderful time as a journalist to be to be watching this um, you know this this develop. So. Thank you so much for sharing some of Lily's ideas with us today. Obviously, you know, no secrets have been spilt in in the course of this interview. Um, Although we but, did see uh, a few companies
1: out there. Uh, yes,
0: yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> 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 but no, but no competitors, so it's fine. It's fine. Um, uh, so thank you so much, Diego, for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and thank you for joining us on the Invivo podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it as well.